Podcast 026, Listener Questions. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. And there was Grandma swinging on the outhouse door. And there was Grandpa yelling Mama idea where that came from <laughs> I, I i know that like jack spirico's podcast has like theme music oh you <laughs> want that to be your theme music <laughs> uh, i'm not not sure about that but you know uh, now now this one has theme music okay not that that was really music because that was because uh, i was doing it okay well you know i know you like to talk about your granddad and he Oh, man, don't tie that to granddad. I know. Scary. And I talk about my grandma. My granddad, I don't think, was ever watching some woman hanging off the outhouse door. (laughs) That was a weird song. (laughs) Moving on. Today's podcast is to try and finally answer a bunch of questions out of the Permese Forum. So in the Tinkering Forum, there was a thread with podcast topics and – a lot of people have been saying they love your podcast and they've been posting them out place, different places, posting links and um, really supporting you, which is awesome. Yay! And asking for topics. And they've even changed their names to first name, last name on the forum so it can be more of a real community feel with real people. You know, you've got someone's name, you're talking with a real person instead of some handle where you don't know if they're an alien or some weirdo or what. So When you say alien, do you mean from <laughs> another planet, from a country that's not this one? I meant something science fiction oriented. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. So, All right. so anyway, um, so we had, gosh, I did a whole long page of notes that we're probably not going to get through in this whole in this podcast right here. Uh, almost each of these questions could be a podcast in and of itself, but we'll see what we can cover. Right. So I'm looking at your sheet of paper here, and I thought so. I asked you to put this at the top, Oregon coast. So you know, it would be. It, uh, I, I've put this out in some place. I can't remember where I put it, but. Um, I'd like to get some feedback on on a place to go on the Oregon coast. Um, I, you know, some place that's not just your standard hotel or something like that. But um, I think it would be a, a nice little little vacation spot. Um, you know, like spend three or four days on the Oregon coast. Um, I'm just kind of leaning in that direction. Basically, it started off with the idea that somebody in Tillamook said, "Hey, can you come here and present?" And so as we started working out the details. They were, uh, so it was Tillamook, Oregon, and I um, was kind of thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, kind of do a twofer. Go down there, do the presentation, and uh, do a little, a little vacation-y thing on the, on the coast. But then that fell through. Apparently the day that she picked was the same day as their uh, cow festival or something like that, which <laughs> is a big deal in Tillamook. So that's like, it uh, wasn't, you know, so it just kind of fell apart from there. But... I, I still like the idea of like uh, maybe sometime mid-August or so. Uh, somehow I heard that the best time to visit the Oregon coast is mid-August. And so I'm just going to 
need to find a spot to go to, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, and I, you know. So you'd like suggestions. I, I think it would be good. To, so there's, a, there's a, a forum that's the Cascadia Forum. This would be a mm. good thing to post in the Cascadia Forum. Right, because that's regional. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, and, and another reason we talked about the Oregon coast is Jesse Tack on permies.com, a user, came up with a list of different questions and interviews he'd like to hear. And his first question was about doing large-scale permaculture and getting funding for large-scale permaculture. And it reminded me of Michael Becker from Hood River, Oregon, who came to speak at my permaculture design course with Toby Hemingway last year. And I just thought what Michael Becker is doing in the classroom with junior high science students is amazing. And the funding and public and private support he has um, gotten for his programming is just phenomenal. He's just built, uh, I think he's an incredible example of building a community around permaculture projects um, that would be a lovely scalable model for other people, even if it's not in a school environment. So maybe we should try and do a podcast with him or maybe visit him uh, on our way, like go down there and take a look at what all he's got going on when, when we head to the Oregon coast or something. I think that would be amazing. Uh, he's he's um, very, very busy with all his projects with his school and how he does things. And I mean, it would take a whole podcast to explain it and I get some of the details wrong. But um, he's also writing a book about what he's doing. Um, so um, there's not much on the internet about him just yet. There's a couple brief interviews. Okay. But, yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, uh, I, I think we could. I, I know that you've told me about uh, uh, his stuff before, uh -huh. and I've heard from a couple of other people about his stuff. So I think it would be good to go take a gander. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, that's my take on the large-scale permaculture, but this is really supposed to be your take on large-scale oh. permaculture and funding on large-scale permaculture. Well, I think I think funding is something that, um, I mean, when you talk about funding, it's like, okay, going out and getting a loan or getting a big grant or something. I, I keep hearing about big grants for sustainable stuff, but it's like uh, – um, I, I, I'm not, that's really not my forte. Um, uh, I, I'm not kind of, I'm not really big on the idea of going and getting a loan or a mortgage if you can dodge it. Um, and uh, uh, I know that when, you, when it comes to getting a mortgage and you're getting land, um, there's only a few places that will even talk to you about that. And that would, you know, so do some Googling on that. You've got to find something where you can put in large acreage. Usually if it's more than, than five or ten acres, they don't, most of, most of the people that carry mortgages don't want to touch it. Um, but uh, I, I kind of feel like the thing that I'm looking at now is to lease land. And um, uh, I'm, I'm ex that's what I'm exploring now. I'm... I was just thinking about this earlier today. It's been um, it's been six years since I've had land that's been mine. And and uh, as you were asking me some questions, um, I was thinking, 
you know, why don't I, why, it, like some of this stuff seems to have faded from memory. And I think a lot of it is, is that I just haven't had my hands in the dirt for, you know, a long time. I mean, I've gone out and I've done little projects here and there and, and you know, been been part of a lot of little things and, you know, of course the videos and visiting a lot of farms and stuff, but, but man, I just I just really need to get back to it. I mean, there's things that are just my my brain's getting rusty on some stuff. Okay. But uh, I think leasing land's the way to go. Uh, getting getting uh, funding for a large scale permaculture project. There's also that outfit that's the uh, the the permaculture um, credit union. So oh I, right. Yeah. So I think if you Google the permaculture credit union, um, my impression is that they're more likely to loan. Right. To permaculture projects. Yeah, I've heard great things about them. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, getting, you know, getting funding, that just sounds like getting a grant is what that sounds like. And I don't know enough about that. I mean, it, it, it seems to me like there is crazy big money out there in that space, but it also seems to me like there's a, a million, six scram, million six people scrambling to get that money for dopey, useless crap. Well, there's there's a bunch of different uh, alternative models that are, people are building too. Um, Larry Santoyo also spoke at the, my PDC about a, um, and I forget the name of it, um, but similar to how people are developing barter groups or time bank groups or our exchange groups, uh, there's also um, this independent funding thing where people get together and do a little and do community funding of a project and he had a great example of somebody who wanted to do beekeeping and wanted a minimal investment from his little group of people to fund his beekeeping and so so people put in money and then they were so personally and, and community invested in this little project that one of the investors happened upon some local store where they were selling some honey and they said, oh, hey, you should sell the honey of this little guy I just invested in. And so it was a different type of support on a much smaller scale. And that, that sounded very, very different and alternative. That right. was kind of cool. Well, usually to get into a honey operation you're talking about, it, it's, it's probably 100 to 150 bucks. Yeah, and and I yeah, and I don't know what type of operation he was looking at and what this investment all meant. You know, maybe he had three or four friends that all loaned him. Maybe he was scaling it up a little bit right from the start, so maybe they all pitched in 100 bucks, and he had a pretty big operation to start with. Who knows? Right. You know, so, but it's it's just a different model that you don't well, hear about very often. If you're going to try and do large scale a large scale permaculture operation, I mean you're talking about millions of dollars, yeah. you know, and yeah. so, uh, um, and and the other thing is is like I mean I think it would be great to to maybe make a podcast where it, you know the whole thing is to talk about a large scale permaculture operation. How would it be different from like uh, like you know a lot of permaculture operations are going to be two to six acres. And so then let's talk about the stuff that's, you know, more in the realm of 80 to 10,000 acres right. and, and how that would look. Well, and, and the other thing I want to circle back to and just comment on really quickly is the idea of getting grants or getting uh, other types of 
public funding. And I think this is where Michael Becker is, again, an excellent example. And this is what I've learned from some of the work I've done with nonprofits. And this is a permaculture principle, too. You have to start small. You start small, and you build a reputation. You build those connections. You build a track record of doing good programs or cool things. And then, uh, you know, Michael Becker started small. He got grant money for one solar panel that he did all these things with the kids out in the food forest they were planting. And then he finally built it all the way up over a number of years and over a number of projects to where um, he's got a whole brand new wing of the school built, all with grant money and all this funding. So it's, <clears throat> I, you know, start small. Build a track record. Show that you're doing good work. Kind of like um, uh, Rob Roy's book on um, mortgage-free. And and so in that he advocates that you know you you, uh, uh, you build your grub stake so you live like a pauper for five six years and you have your day job and you know you you build up your money to go out and buy that chunk of land and then you build a little shack on the land to live in and then uh, um, while you're living in that and still probably working then um, at some point you build yourself a um, a, a better yet small home with the idea that you're going to renovate every few years. Um, and the, the point that he makes in the book is that in, by, you know, by the end, because you never went to a bank to get a loan, then um, you end up you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars ahead right. through all of that. Right. So, um, yeah, the math is astounding when you look at the mortgages and the interest you pay. Yeah. Right. So Jesse Tack also asked about fruit tree guilds. He wanted to know. I'm switching. <laughs> I'm switching topics okay. now. We've got a whole page of questions, and we'll see how far we get. But he also was curious about fruit tree guilds. So now this is this is one that's that's like really famous. Everybody wants to know what should I plant. You know, and and it's kind of like I, I at one point in time I started tinkering around. There's this thing on YouTube. It's it's this thing where you prop up two little cartoon people, and then you um, uh, put words in their mouth. You type in what you want oh. them to say. Only it was like going really slow, so I eventually gave up on it. But what I did was I started off. There's this guy and a gal, and the gal is like supposedly a, a permaculture designer, and the the guy is like saying, "What seeds should I plant?" And then the gal said, I, uh, I need to know how cold it gets where you are and what kinds of things you want to grow. And the guy replies and says, just tell me what seeds to plant. <laughs> you know. And, and so anyway, it's, it's kind of like that. Everybody wants to know, well, what, what should I do for my guild, for my fruit tree guild? And uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, oh, here's the answer. It depends. <laughs> and everybody wants the permaculture people to write about it or to say it, like exactly, just tell me what to plant under my damn tree. And um, and it's like, you know, it, it's hard. It's it's not like there's a slam dunk answer for everybody. And so you end up coming up with these vague answers or these huge books are written about it, and, and nowhere in the book does it make a list. And I, I do think it would be great to have, like, um, some threads on permies where it's like, all right, everybody, what what did you plant under your fruit tree? There are some threads of that nature, aren't there? I, you know, 
I would think so. I, I know that um, I've suggested it a couple of times. Um, but the thing is, is that it's kind of like, uh, I mean, there are some things that are fairly universal. Like a lot of people will plant um, the comfrey. Uh, comfrey is a popular one because it's uh, got a tap root, so it doesn't really compete with the fruit tree very much. Right. And it's a nutrient accumulator, and it's primary accumulator, uh, primarily accumulating uh, calcium. And for a lot of trees, they, they are deficient in, in calcium. So um, it really it really helps to uh, to have plenty of that. Uh, dandelions for, for a lot of the same reason. I mean, I, I, a lot of things are like, well, what what are some weeds that grow in your area that are kind of like really out of control? And uh, um, that's going to, to help give you an idea. But uh, oftentimes some legumes, um, and again, it comes back to it, it depends on what grows. I know that on the farm that I had, um, I ended up planting like uh, little, I'd, I have little experimental plots. I'd plant little rows, a variety of different things, and I would label them. And, and it wasn't for the sake of like, okay, this is my, you know, polyculture, my main product. I, I planted them in rows because A, I wanted to see what the plant looked like, and, and B, I wanted to see how it did on my land because there's a lot of stuff that just didn't take. And it wasn't until just like a month before I left that piece of property that I finally, you know, came up with some good solutions on how to get other things to grow there that weren't doing very well. But um, uh, in the meantime, I planted a variety of things, and then only about on that particular piece of land, only about one thing in um, I don't know, one thing in eight actually, you know, took off and did well, and. Um, and so I started reshaping the land and putting in terraces and stuff like that. So I think I, I would have been able to get a lot of other things to do well because of the problem, because of what the problem was with the soil there. Um, but uh, uh, I think that's a great idea. I mean, that's a great place to start. And granted, it sets you back a year. But go, uh, you know, get the uh, go to GrowOrganic.com um, as Peaceful Valley Farm Supply. And then, you know, get their catalog or go through their website and just make a big fantasy list, buy yourself a couple hundred dollars worth of seed, plant a little bit of everything, label it so you'll know what it looks like when it comes up and see what does well. Get an idea of like what are the things that you want to play with and stuff like that. And and that's I think that's going to be a great place to start. Now, I, I think that there are some that are going to just be the uber plant. Black locust is going to be one. Um, and so that's going to be a tall tree. And so you're just going to plant some black locusts mixed in with whatever else it is that you're planting. Um, well, I, going back to your comment, it depends. It depends on your um, region, your zone, right? And, and that's something I just noticed Jesse didn't have that on his um, little bio information on permies. There's a place in a description, I think, in your profile information. You can say where you're at if you want, right? Well, on permies, it's a little wonky um, right now. I mean, I'm going to over, we're, so currently the software is getting overhauled now, and we're going to, we're going to get some, uh, some new um, uh, um, software, and hopefully it'll be a little easier to do something like that. But um, I kind of was hoping that we'd have it up by now, like maybe even last December, have the new software up and running. But I, but there's like some field that you go and you fill out, and, and uh, when you fill out this one field, it, it makes it appear under your name on the left side, 
And at some point, like four years ago, somebody said, hey, everybody, go and tinker with that. So I, I put, you know, my location under mine, and a bunch of other people did too. And I think some other people have figured it out. I haven't. I, I should follow through on that and do a better job. But I'm looking forward to the new software. And, and when I get my new computer, I hope to start doing a lot more development activity on that. Well, so going back to the it depends, it depends on what climate you live in. It depends on your specific soil site. Like you had some specific soil issues at your farm on Mount Spokane. Right. And it depends on a lot on your personal preferences. True. Like what kinds of things do you want? And how, I mean, like it's, I, I think that one thing is that if you've got 80 acres and four people, you're going to plant stuff. You've got tons and tons of space. And you're going to plant a whole different thing. You're going to plant um, 500 apple trees, and uh, and planting them by seed is great because if 20% of them turn out to be spitters, well, that's pig food. You know, are, are you going to raise pigs? You know, right? <laughs> See, that's another. It depends. Yeah. And then, uh, but if it's if you're like on a tiny city lot and you get to pick one fruit tree you're probably not going to start it from seed because, you know, the odds, it's unpredictable what kind of fruit's going to come off right. of it. Right. And um, uh, you're probably not going to graft something onto it later. Um, yeah, good. Uh, zone, I mean, like, black locust is great, but I don't think black locust would do very good in anywhere where it doesn't freeze in the winter. Um, black locust tolerates cold, and it tolerates a lot of abuse, and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, it's a nitrogen-fixing tree, yada, yada. But the big thing is is that if, it, if it's too warm, I don't think it'll grow. And then you're going to want to grow something else. I did a quick search in the permaculture forum on permies.com, and there's threads on an avocado tree guild, on a fruit tree guild, and on an apple tree guild. So people have been discussing this. Um, I didn't go into the details of what they've been discussing or plants are suggesting. But um, there's quite a few threads on on different tree guilds in there. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and it, you know, if you're looking for something specific, start a new thread. And if you're looking for something specific and it doesn't already exist on permies.com, then, then start something new. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's so much traffic there. There's so many people having so many conversations. I'm... I'm way behind in tons and tons of stuff on there. And, um, you know, every once in a while I get somebody on the permies.com staff uh, directing me to some thread, hey, uh, can you come and answer this one poisonally? And so then I, I head on out. So, um, uh, and there's just so many, there's gobs and gobs of people that are willing to help, willing to willing to exchange their information. But it's like, it's it's not something where I can just, Say here's what to plant, which is what people want to hear. Right. Give me a list, damn it, of the <laughs> stuff to plant under my apple tree, and quit being so evasive about it. Yeah. And and yeah, it's just it's just way too hard. Yeah. Way too hard. Yeah. I mean, even if you knew what zone they lived in, you don't know the specifics of their site or the little right. microclimates or the soil issues. So, yeah. Here in the Missoula area, um, if I've got uh, a couple hundred acres, uh, I am going to go a lot with a lot of what's already popping up around here anyway. Dandelion, 
uh, I want to do some comfrey. I'm going to do the black locust. I'm um, probably going to do uh, um, some sea berry. Uh, and then lately we saw rhubarb being used. I thought that was brilliant. I'll, I'll do some rhubarb. Um, uh, alfalfa, I mean, it's a legume and it has a deep taproot, but it requires um, an alkaline pH, which is moderately common around the Missoula area. So uh, that could work out well. Um, and uh, um, then I, you know, I would be wanting to think about uh, chicken feeds. Um, so probably going to do some sunchokes, uh, you know, as well as pig feeds, sunchokes again. Um, uh, mix in some mulberries at some point. Um, uh, going to do a lot of fruit trees mixed in there. I mean, you know, I don't know. When I think of gills, I'm having a hard time thinking of like what would be herbaceous plants to plant under a single tree, which is what most people think. And the other thing is, is like when you plant the tree, I would do it, you know, Sepp Holzer style, which is going to be something where um, uh, the branches are very low to the ground. And, and now, instead of like, oh, you've got this lollipop-shaped tree with a big trunk and this big open space under the tree, well, a lot of what's right next to the ground is being taken up by the tree itself. Because the branches are lower in the, right. more of that style, yeah. So um, getting back to permies.com, I think you did want to mention in this podcast that there's been a few changes at permies.com, right? Right. So um, <clears throat> normally I'm quite the asshole at how I manage the site. And, um, and whether it's been that I've been lax or I've been too tolerant. Um, so there's been some people where I've been trying to be persuasive to, hey, you know, I'm not okay with that. And, and so then these people turned around and told me that I don't understand and that I'm stupid and that I need to accept the way things are. And then one of them said, uh, oh, yeah, and i got a bunch of buddies that are telling me that the way that I'm doing this is good and awesome and that the way that you want it to be is stupid. So I banned them all. Well, and, so, and I think what the point is, is, it's not the little dickering you had back and forth with these these folks, but the point is some of these folks were making threads so difficult to have a conversation in that some people were staying away. I know there were some threads I didn't reply to because it just got a little too difficult. Right. And and, and now you've had people thanking you saying, "Wow, what a relief." Yeah, I've gotten tons of Phew. thank yous. I've gotten a, I've got a Phew. few emails of from people saying, you know, I think you're wrong. And and frankly, you know what? I don't care if 5,000 people tell me I'm wrong and 3 people tell me I'm right. It's it's the three people that I'm doing this for. But I actually think it's the other way around. I think that what we had was four to eight people that were making things difficult and that they were, I mean, basically they would express themselves in such a way that it's like, this is the truth. And, and basically if you were to reply in any way, it would be like your reply, no matter how much you tried to say, hey, this is just me talking here, it's it's like it's a confrontation now. Yeah. And no one want you don't people don't want to engage. People don't want to share. And then uh, it's like oh that's anecdotal information. And then the same person turns around and shares their anecdotal information. But now it's their anecdotal information which kicks ass on everything else. And it's kind of like uh, yeah you know what I think I just don't need those people around. Right. And uh, I want to get back. I want to get back, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to make up. I'm going to change my mind willy-nilly whenever I want. And basically, what I want is a community that I like, 
and I might I, I don't care if I seem consistent or not. I want a community that I like. And I'm pretty clear, people sign up and it says be nice and and I am the only person who interprets what that means. And uh, when I try to talk to people about, hey, uh, what you're saying is outside my comfort zone, and they say that I'm stupid, I'm sorry, that's like not being nice. That's like, I'm not okay with that. That's not like charming to the bone. And furthermore, it's not like they're attempting to persuade me that I'm traveling an errant path. Um, they, they're they demanding that I persuade them. Like, like, I need permission from them to run my site my way. You know, and, gets and a little twisted. And it's like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fucking play. I've got other things to do. Yeah. And uh, and so basically, I, you know what? I became too liberal. I, I, I tried to to talk to these people and communicate with them and work it out, and they were shits. And, and so, yeah. You know, I just banned them, and now I think the site is way better. And I hope that we're going to have a lot more exchange of ideas. And and I, you know, and they were like bitching about anecdotal. I'm sorry, I love anecdotal. Anecdotal is the truth, you know. And it's like uh, um, a lot of times this information was presented in such a way to say, well, studies say this, therefore your anecdotal thing never happened. And it's kind of like that is like really not okay. Right. Right. So. Yeah. This is about innovation, and a lot of innovation is going to be in a space where no one has done it before. Therefore, there is no study to support it. Well, and I think a lot of people who use herbs or they use natural remedies or they use alternatives, um, alternatives out in the farm and on the homestead, there's not big money behind that, so there's not big right. finance studies behind a lot of that stuff. So so you don't have scientific assays on such and such because it's not patentable or whatever. Right. So, so you just, yeah, you don't have the same stuff. Where's the big study to support diatomaceous earth? Yeah. And yet diatomaceous earth is being used in all of our food and, and instead of some kind of toxic yuck. Right, right. Yeah. So um, one quick more comment on Jesse Tack's request. Uh, he wanted interviews and information from Brad Lancaster on, on water stuff, from Bill Mollison, Jeff Lawton, Sepp, Darren Doherty, and the Bullock Brothers. So he had quite the request list, wanted you to do series of interviews with these guys, all the big permaculture celebrities. Well, I emailed... Uh, um, so let's see. I'm trying to. I'm looking at this list. I have nothing lined up with any of these folks, and um, uh, but you know, my I, I've got a bunch of other people that I've been. So interviews. I can do more interviews. Um, uh, Brad Lancaster. I should probably actually read his book first, and I haven't. Um, yeah. Bill Mollison. You think I'm? You know. Okay. Maybe. The, will that guy give me the time of day? I I don't know. Um, I suppose I can give it a try. Sure. And see. Uh, um, Jeff Lawton, um, um, a fellow loaned me uh, two of his DVDs to watch. They're, I'm looking at them right now. They're sitting right over there. And hopefully in the next few days I'll watch a couple of those. But I, I think uh, interviewing Jeff Lawton would be great. But, you know, I he seems to be getting gobs of press. So um, um, I'm happy to do it. But, we, you know, again, will it give me the time of day? We'll find out. Well, I think I think if your stuff is big enough, they'll want your press. 
you know, and your stuff is getting bigger and bigger, and the more people link to your stuff, the more likely you can be to That's do right. these kind so, of interviews. So, Jesse Tack, what you need to do is, is somehow make my stuff bigger. <laughs> you get it so. double in size, then then we'll be okay. Yeah. All right. So, but no, I I think that uh, um, I know that I uh, heard from Bryce Moss, who's processing the podcast and he thinks he can he can do two per week and yeah two per week so that's that's slower than what i was doing before i was doing one every other day and and so um i don't know i i i got i i sent email to art ludwig want to do one with him i've 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 got tons of ideas of more people i want to do these with um um and uh uh but anyway i should i should wait until i've got them actually lined up and get them done well, and yeah, and there's a lot of other things you've got on your plate too. All in good time. All in That's good a good time. point. Yeah, no All rush. In good time. No rush. Okay, so um, maybe the thing to do is is maybe you should make a new thread out in the tinkering forum that's like quickie questions or something like that. Because you're right, these are like full-on interviews. This is right. you know each one's a full. Uh, a full episode all to itself. Right. Well, you know, people can dream. They can want big and stuff. Yeah. 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 So um, Caleb Larson was next in the Tinkering Forum who had some questions. He's the guy that loaned us those movies. That is very cool. So he's here in the Missoula area. Very cool. Yeah, Yeah, he had a Missoula question. He wanted to know about food forests for Montana, which you kind of went into some of that. Did that a little bit? The fruit Fruit Tree Guilds for Jesse. So Caleb also, um, they're looking at some property where it's a gravel pit, and and they're happy because there's no, you know, they don't think there's any toxic residue there, but they want to build soil from scratch in, in like a gravel pit area, and they're wondering how you would do that. Well, I think, you know, the first thing is going to be Google culture. Um, uh, on the upside, they've got good drainage. Uh, uh, yay! Uh, um, but I, I don't know. I would. I, I've uh, when I when Caleb uh, loaned me these videos, he was kind of mentioning something about that. It kind of sounds like it's not as bad as you might think. But um, I, I told him that I'd go out there and uh, and take a look at it uh, at some point. Um, <clears throat> But organic matter is really going to be the the key component there. Um, In the Pacific Northwest, some permaculture people plant alder trees just to be a dynamic accumulator. What what would be a Montana equivalent to like just putting a bunch of alders somewhere? Well, alder trees aren't going to work there. I mean, you, right. alder trees do grow in Montana, but they're going to need a, a moist spot. And it's it's generally too dry, dry here, but if it's a gravel pit, it's going to be way too dry. Right. <clears throat> um, I I think that uh, I mean again, it depends. I mean, if if we're talking about it's just gravel and there's no place for a seed to start, then that is a massive massive challenge. I mean, it's yeah. it's like uh, um, you're going to have to like uh, uh, haul in some organic matter. Just and then I would probably start by planting things in islands uh, in such a way that that they'll get started and get established, and then over the years, you know, build their own islands, like make right. their islands bigger. Right, kind of like the greening stuff. of the desert stuff by Jeff Lawton, right? 
Wasn't well, it? I don't know if Jeff Lawton did Island. But, he but, had like a seven-acre patch. And oh, okay. He planted that seven-acre patch intensively. Okay. That was my impression. I mean, I could be wrong. I I don't know. Okay. I'm, I don't know. So, um, uh, and I, you know, that's another thing too. How big a patch are we talking about? You know, is it is it an acre? Is it thirty acres? You know. Yeah, and he didn't say, um, but he did uh, also mention water harvesting ponds, swales, and terraces. So he's thinking along those lines too, and that might be something to help with a little island that you're starting out with wanting to build on? Yeah, I, I think I think organic matter is going to be the number one thing. Um, well, let's assume that he's got some soil that's, that's pretty gravelly or it's pretty sandy, but but there's something, like, thing, like let's say there's weeds growing there now, something's growing there now, which was kind of my impression when I talked to him, in which case um, then we can start talking about planting seeds to build organic matter. I know a, a good one is um, hairy vetch, you know, uh, something that you can plant uh, in the late fall. It takes off in the really early spring, yeah. and um, it can build, um, uh, it, can, it can make a huge mat five feet thick, you know, by the time uh, mid to late springs roll around. So um, that's a lot of organic matter. And uh, what kind of equipment does he have access to? Can he, can he till stuff in? I mean, I'm not a big fan of till, but if you're starting off with dirt or gravel, then what the hell, till it in, you know. Um, if there's no, virtually no organic matter in the soil now, tilling sure as hell isn't going to hurt. I mean, the problem with tilling is every time you till, you release 30% of your organic matter. And uh, But if there's, like, really no organic matter to be heard of, then till away. Um that's going to be telling you a lot of nitrogens. I, I would also want to get in a lot of carbons and, you know, make it so it's not too hot. Um, you know, maybe he'll be able to – I mean, I would much rather grow organic matter than truck anything in. I mean, I'm tempted with the idea of, like, um, uh, uh, bringing in a bunch of wood chips or something like that. But, but in wood chips, you're still going to find trace amounts of things like clopyrrolid, aminopyrrolid, um, uh, Pickleram, uh, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, because when the tree takes it up, it, it kind of embeds it in the wood. And there it sits for a very long, long time. Mm -hmm. So I, I would um, avoid bringing stuff in. Um, I would I'd be focusing more on what can I grow. Um, to build organic matter, uh, um, on the one hand, it's kind of like, oh, black locust. But on the other hand, no, black locust is going to be something that does not rot well. Uh, so I would be thinking more along the lines of poplars and cottonwoods, which are still going to be relatively thirsty. Um, you know, but, but then there's ways to, to deal with that, too. Um, uh, yeah, man, it, it just keeps coming back. It depends. Like, what resources are already there? Um, I think you listed off a lot of good ideas already, and, and it would definitely take more, you know, more discussion, more analysis, more observation, more trial and error, all of those kind of things, it sounds like. Um, he So he, in his questions about the food forest in Montana, he was asking about good legumes, cover crops, and nitrogen fixing trees for Montana, and you kind of covered some of that with the hairy veg, with the, with the, um, right. so 
So Harry, Harry Vetch, that's going to be a nitrogen fixer. The black locust is a nitrogen fixer, but it's not going to build organic matter very well. What about I mean, the, the honey, leaves honey well. locust? Um, it, the honey locust is going to have a lot of similar problems, only um, okay. with the black locust, the great thing is the black locust shares its nitrogen while it's alive. Um, but then once it's dead, um, unless it dies of old age, in which case it kind of releases its, its antifungal properties um, just before it dies, um, but if it's a young wood, then it's full of that antifungal property, in which case it's like it just won't rot. It'll last 100 years. Yeah. So that's not helping you. Um, but, but it will drop leaves like just the right way to help build organic matter. So um, I, I think it's wise to be go ahead and start planting those black locusts around, but not with the idea that you're going to till them in, but um, with the idea that they're going to help slowly build organic matter just through leaf count. Um, I, I, uh, um, I think, again, I would, I would get the mega... So if I'm sitting down and I'm looking at a certain situation, I, I think another one might be uh, sweet clover. I wonder how sweet clover would do. Um, uh, I'd also be thinking about um, the seaberry. Uh, uh, oh, I mean, that's something that can tolerate really cold temperatures and a lot of really adverse conditions. And it's a, it's um, another one that's uh, a nitrogen fixer. Um, uh, and so, the, and I think a lot of the stuff you're going to be growing are going to be nitrogen fixers um, in the beginning to get things started. Um, I'm I'm kind of thinking about like. Um, yeah, the, the cottonwoods and the poplars is going to be a big one. And, you, you know, in the beginning, the first couple of years, you might need to irrigate. But, of course, the long-term mission is to end up in a space where you're not irrigating. So, um, but, you know, the poplars and the cottonwoods are going to need irrigation to get started. But then once they get going and they're big and they grow fast, then, uh, then suddenly you've got all that great big wood that you can use. Yeah. So speaking of irrigating, a little bit at the beginning, or, or uh, he was curious about water harvesting. So, uh, with you know, getting getting, is it is the land flat or is it on a hillside? Yeah, we you don't know? know any of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the the water. I mean, the, the the slam dunk, easy peasy thing is to say culture, but then you need to have a lot of wood. Is there any kind of wood there at all? I mean, if it's just a gravel pit, it just seems like it'd be this great big flat expanse of, you know, gravel, and no nothing growing there at all. But I don't think that's the case. So I, it's like, um, if it's, it's flat land, if it's yeah. just flat land, I don't like the idea of doing ponds because then you've got this whole thing where it's like you don't have movement of water. It's just a hole in the ground that fills up with water in the winter, and then the, the, the water dissipates. Sepp Holzer does these things that he calls crater gardens, where he does, he, he digs a, a crater in the ground, a hole in the ground, he terraces along the sides, and, and then his whole idea is, is that the bottom half of it will fill up with water, and then it'll be kind of stagnant for part of the year, and then it'll eventually seep through the bottom. And um, I really have a hard time grooving on that myself, but he's a huge fan, and course, he's Sepp Holzer, so... Um, well, in the um, Seattle area, we have huge problems with stormwater runoff being a polluting factor. Um, all the streets and all the paved areas especially, there's there's just, 
you know, all that oil that comes off the cars gets washed out into the streams and lakes and the Puget Sound. So there's all this huge program right now to build rain gardens. They sound kind of like Sepulzer's Crater Gardens. So that's a big, big deal in the Seattle area right now. There's actually people can get them installed for free, speaking of grant funding. Well, I know that SAP believes that some kind of giant crater garden is the uh, solution to uh, areas that flood. And, um, and so then he's got all this stuff about people trying to build dams or people trying to do things to kind of, you know, slow down the flow of the water to keep, you know, the destruction minimized and, and stuff like that. And he's feeling like that's the opposite direction to go. He likes to build these crater gardens. You know what? I, I tried to wrap my head around it, and apparently I'm just too stupid. I could not understand how that was helping at all. Um, but, hey, he's coming back to the United States um, in a year, um, and uh, he is going to talk more about that, so we'll see you then. Yep, yep, you can get um, more information. So let's skip to Caleb's last question. It was um, about starting or growing perennials on the cheap. Seeds, seeds. And propagation, right? Well, and yeah, on propagation works too. But um, a lot of these places will, there's, there's a lot of places out there that will sell uh, all kinds of perennial seeds for just peanuts, just hardly anything. So I've got in my hand here this old catalog. Um, it's got to be a few years old. J.L. Hudson, Seedsman, uh, La Honda, California. You could probably Google it and get the catalog yourself, but it's, it's uh, this is the uh, the two the the two thousand the two thousand nine ethno botanical garden of or catalog of seeds. So uh, I know that inside of this has got you know I was I was looking at it and I saw black locust seeds and and um, every kind of perennial you can think of is in here along with the special directions for what those seeds need in order to germinate. Um, and then you know it's a, it's still a bit of a challenge for a lot of folks to uh, to get perennial seeds to germinate, um, but but you know you think about it the inside your little packet comes 500 trees for two dollars. I mean that seems pretty cheap to me, uh, and and they'll just need a little a little care and getting started, and then boom baby you're in business. Um, I I really like starting things from seeds because um, if it's going to, if the plant is going to have a taproot, it will then have a taproot. Um, I, I, you know, and, and so Helen and I uh, debated this at one point, um, and I know I've heard from other people. Helen Atow. Helen Atow. Yeah, uh, and that is that I believe that when you transplant um, any plant that has a taproot, once you transplant it, you lose the taproot. And um, she believes that there have been cases where she's been able to maintain the taproot. Um, and I'm just not sure of that. Um, and so I, I'm, I have my doubts. Um, you know, on the other hand, boy, we saw that stuff that they were doing with the Land Institute. And it's like uh, those plants might not have had a taproot, but, you know, what was that, like 25 feet long of root that they were able to... Oh, right, right, when they had that big trench in the field and they were looking at the stuff. Yeah. Well, there was another one where they grew the plant in some sort of tube or something, and they were able to see that the roots went forever. It was, 
it was pretty amazing. And and so Helen, of course, has done some stuff with them. So you know, odds are good that she knows a thing or two. But I still believe that you lose the taproot when you when you transplant. Well, and it's 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 a risk either way. You know, I would think it's just kind of a risk. And I think that when you propagate um, in other ways, uh, like from cuttings and stuff like that, I don't. I think you don't get a taproot then. But I'm not sure about that. Well, and that's probably a big get. Depends on the plant, I, you know. So true, true. I mean, but anything with a taproot, I don't think you get it. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. But when you, so you know, starting growing perennials on the cheap. There you go. Yeah, get these seed catalogs, perennial seeds, and and uh, start start cruising through them, picking a bunch of stuff out. Start trying to get this stuff started. You know, read the directions on how to start these crazy perennial seeds, and and start. See if you can get a few things to, to show up, you know, and get get some get some skills built up in this space. Yeah, yeah. Um, next, we have Brian Gallimore, and these are all people that were cool enough to do their first name and last name. And Brian Gallimore had an interesting question about philosophy. Uh, more specifically, how people should be treating each other. And what activities are helpful, destructive, maybe getting to culture issues? It's a huge topic. Well, you know, uh, I remember someone once saying to me something about how you should never use the word should. <laughs> and uh, so when you say how people should be treating each other, it's, it kind of gets into the space of if you, if you try and start telling folks, hey, we all need to get along, so you need to knock that shit off. No, that kind of gets them to want to do it more, I think. And and then and then it's like and then people are like doing things that are contrary to their nature, and eventually they're going to ship out. Um, and so, I I do think that that uh, you gotta you've got to come up with systems that are aligned with human nature. You've and and you know a lot of there's there's I, I'd say most folks out there believe that most folks like 95% of the population are good people. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna in a way I'm gonna say I believe that they're the opposite. I believe that they're human beings. 95% of the population out there are human. And that means that they're going to do nutty things based on all kinds of different reasons. I think if you want to, you need it when you're thinking of a system of how to get people to get along. You you need to, to tune into the Jerry Springer show and make sure your system will work with those folks. Because as much as you try to assume that the people that you're working with are all these noble, awesome, wonderful folks, then then uh, uh, your system becomes fragile. Well, I, what his what Brian's question made me think of is is you do have some unique perspectives on community, which which you're alluding to a little bit with with the statements you just made, um, and and I think you have some very um, strong morals and ethics around integrity. Um, and, and respect um, that 
that, you know, and I'm not totally clear of what Brian is looking for is something that has to do with a, with a sustainable society and how does this tie in with being truly sustainable and do we need our people systems to have a certain kind of culture so that we can also do permaculture, sustainability type stuff. But I, I think just in a philosophy and reading his actual words of how people treat each other, I think um, I think you do want to do a whole podcast on the road on community, and and I think that might be a better answer to this. Have I gone off topic a little bit? I have no idea. I mean, I'm not sure what on topic is. <laughs> Hell, we're talking about philosophy, right? You know, right. we could talk about anything, and it probably falls under philosophy, right? But um. So I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, 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 I'm not really sure what the question is and if I'm answering it, if I'm being helpful or not or whatever. And as far as my philosophies on, on ethics and integrity and that kind of thing, um, I, I'm sure that the fellows that I just banned off the forums, they would tell, they'd tell you that I don't have a lick of ethics or a lick of, of integrity or um, you know, a lick of sense. Uh, and and so I, it is. It does. I think it works out to be in a lot of ways real subjective and um, uh, relative. So um, and and what I want to do is I want I want to draw people to my site whose set of philosophies and ethics are very much aligned with mine. And because, um, uh, boy, we sure get a lot of folk coming out to the site saying, you got to sing the ethics song my way or you can't call it permaculture. And frankly, their way seems to me to be real fucked up. I, I you know, they're, they're talking about doing things that I find to be criminal well, and that they want me to justify their poor behavior. Well, and I think any time you start discussing the though some of the more extreme social or political views, um, it becomes flame wars. And, and so that's, that's one area you've really done a good job, I think, of keeping out of permies.com, is keeping the real social, political, hot-button topics out of the mix so that it doesn't become a flame war site, you know. Um, so I, I think that's a good thing. And I don't think that's exactly what Brian was talking about. But, um, you know, he talked about the your Beyond Organic podcast and uh, how some people don't always read the materials or something like that. So so anyway, maybe Brian can comment a little bit more and have a more specific <laughs> question down the road. But Caleb Larson asked another one. I forgot. I meant to add that in when uh, about permaculture and weeds. All right. So he uh, he wanted to know, you know, how weeds indicate what's going on with the soil and if there's a good resource for that and and how to you know what weeds. I think he's fishing around for kind of what weeds should be encouraged and part of the permaculture site well uh, that's that's an awesome question um, and and, uh, and it's a huge huge topic and uh, uh, I uh, 
I, I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's lists of stuff. I, I I don't know. I think I think as we do the the videos where we're showing off a particular plant, I think we do a good job of uh, of, of conveying that kind of knowledge as we can. So, for example, nettles. I know. I mean, nettles and and grass would be included. I mean, their nettles are are nitrogen pigs. They need really rich soil, or they just they just don't you know do anything. So whenever you see nettles, that's that's some very rich soil right there, with generally with plenty of moisture. Okay. So um, uh, and they're considered a weed, and yet um, they're like one of the best foods in the world. Yeah. Uh, they're um, uh, I, I think that the high, they're the highest protein plant that I'm aware of, um, higher than soybeans. I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything that's higher out there. If there is, I'm not aware of it. There might be something where it has more protein, but it's not palatable or something. Um, but uh, uh, it's like a, it's it's really a superfood, a super plant. Um, and then, of course, it, pro it provides a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I'd I'd encourage it. Um, you know, we talk about the dandelion. What a great permaculture plant it is, and it's considered a weed. Um, we talked about uh, in the last podcast the, the, the word noxious weeds. Um, so noxious is is this word which sounds like toxic or something or nasty or but actually it's just a government word. It just says government doesn't like that weed. <laughs> right. That's all it is. Right. Um, so that's answering your question, do you think? Well, and when we were getting ready for the podcast, and I mentioned this question, you pulled a little booklet off your bookshelf that's titled Weeds and What They Tell by Aaron Freed Pfeiffer. Yeah, good luck spelling Aaron Freed Pfeiffer, P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R. It's by the Biodynamic Farming and Gardening Association. They're the publishers. So... Um, looks like a cool little booklet on what weeds can tell you. And I've only browsed it. Um, there, there have been a few times I tried looking stuff up in it, and it it seems like every time I have a weed and I want to find out what it's telling, that weed's not in that book. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. mean that is a tiny little book there, isn't it? I think I've heard, yeah, I think I've heard of a larger book by this, but the title escapes me. Um, well, I know Seth Holter's new book has some of that in it. Mm -hmm. And I do know that I like Seth Holzer's thing. Uh, wherever you see ferns growing, that's a great place to plant potatoes or sunchokes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's, I mean, you know, every weed probably does tell a story. Every weed does serve a function. I remember one Skeeter, uh, he was saying something like, every weed has a place and it does something to help. And so I asked him, well, what about bindweed? And which I'm thinking, you know, bindweed's like one that I would get off of my property if I saw any of it. Which other people know is morning glory, right? Right, yeah. right, right. And so uh, um, he was saying, well, think about it. The roots are 25 feet deep. It's an accumulator. It accumulates all kinds of stuff. And, and it's going to build your organic matter in places that, like, other stuff just isn't cutting it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I still think I'm going to get rid of it, and I'll depend on other things to do that. Right. Um, uh, but still, uh, okay, every, every weed has its has its place. Good answer from Skeeter, huh? Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, for me, I, I'd do a fair bit of focus on allelopathic stuff, you know, stuff that poisons the other plants around it. Um, so now I, I own the, the Dave Jackie books, and, and, and you know, I just haven't, I, I haven't ever opened them. And, uh, and those are huge books, and it just seems like they would just have lists and lists of awesome information about each and every plant. And I've heard so many people say so many good things about them. I'm, I'm sure that they're awesome, and, and maybe I should actually open them up someday and look inside and see. In all your spare time. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were some questions by somebody uh, on the Tinkering Forum. Uh, Joe Pacelli? Would you say Pacelli or Pacelli? I'm not sure. He asked about companion planting for veggies and fruits. And then the way he described something else was symbiotic plant combos like sap. So I think what he's getting at are guilds. Right. I mean, basically, companion planting is just, you know, one step before guild. So, right. like, you might plant, uh, you know, so, like, there's a famous book called Carrots Love Tomatoes. And so you could plant a row of carrots next to a row of tomatoes. And now you, you don't really have a polyculture, but you're you're getting into the neighborhood. Right. And and so you, you could, um, you know, and, and the French intensive method, uh, and, and a few other techniques have things where you'll mix together four or five species that are good companions together, and then that's what you're going to plant intensively in one area. Um, and uh, it's 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 really on the road towards um, guilds, where you're just going to mix up 40, 50 seeds all willy-nilly, and then uh, some places, um, you know, some you know one you know. 12, 15 species grow, and other places a different 12 or 15 species grow because, you know, all the edges come together to make things just right for that kind of thing. Right. And when he asked about a symbiotic um, plant combination, he was asking, well, what do you combine so that the plants work together well and have pollinators and work for no-till? And, and, you know, so he was really doing quite a guild description. And again... It's like trying to reply to the fruit tree guild yeah. question <laughs> because even when it's for vegetables, you have your own climate in your region, you have your own soil issues in your site, you have your own microclimates in your site, and then you have your own druthers, your own preferences of, you know, well, I can't stand daikon radish, you know. Right. Even if it would grow here, you know, or whatever. So about 15 years ago, I think I read four different books on companion planting, and um, I remember taking extensive notes and and um, you know learning which ones helped each other, helped the others, and and then they also had information on like um, what plants did not go together, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, you know I've I've got these notebooks full of these notes. Um, in an effort to try and like, okay, how am I gonna, what, what am I gonna plant and when and you know whatever. Um, and and it's the great thing is it's full of not only anecdotal information but also a fair bit of research, you know, like formal research on on different uh, um, things. And uh, um, all that is amazing information, but it's kind of like the whole thing with set mixing up his seeds in one great big bucket. Kind of trumps all of that. I mean, as soon as I mean, 
companion planting, I mean, it's fun to know. It's fun to look it up and start gathering information. But I would say that that would take a back seat today to just mixing all the seeds up in a bucket and pitching them out there whenever you get a chance. Um, and a lot of the reason is going to be that um, now it's more like it's, it's trivia, it's, it's interesting to know. It does require more advanced knowledge, but, but that was when the idea was that you're going to have this great big flat space and you're going to grow things in rows, which rows go with rich rows, or if you're going to do a bed, you're going to plant things like square footage. Like I'm going to put one seed right here in the middle of this square, which is, and right next to it is this other plant that will be a good companion plant right next to it. And, um, and now you're, you're putting in this huge amount of time to understand what are the companions as well as um, uh, you know, how much room do they need to grow. And then so you're going to plant the seeds in just the right spot. It's, it's kind of like, um, I mean, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't exactly scale well. I mean, you could probably do, and, and it is an improvement over monocropping or just planting things in just simple rows. Um, but, but really, I think that um, if people go all the way to the next step, which is the polyculture, where you just mix the seed up and scatter it, that's so much easier. And as long as you're doing the thing with lots and lots of edge, the scatter technique is going to work better. Because if you start doing the companion planting thing, then you've got to, like, totally know all of your edges and how they all work out so you'll know what to plant there in that area and what companions will go with it. I mean, it, start, it, it gets really hard to, you, you know, it's like, boy, you've got to cram a lot of stuff into your head. Whereas if you just kind of start getting to the area where you're going to just plant things willy-nilly, then and it's a lot easier. It's just, you know, fling and kick. Yeah, and... I think that's another area people can start out simply if they want, you know. I mean, Seth has 30 or 40 seeds in his seed mixtures. But I think if you're starting out small, you want to start out simple, you wouldn't have to have so many all at once. I, I think it would be cool if somebody had a business where it's like um, they just mixed up 60 different things. And it's like, I don't care where you live, <laughs> you know. This is like got all your standard stuff in it, and uh, then just fling it around, kick some dirt on it, walk away, and everything's kind of on its own. That'd be fun. That that would actually be, I think, a pretty uh, pretty good garden. Right. So so Joe was also wondering about resources for learning about this, and we and we've talked a little bit about that. You know, there's you talked about Dave Jackie's books, and um, and and we talked about threads on permies. There's been lots of different guild-type threads on permies. I think that um, uh, uh, Toby Hemingway's book, mm. Guy's Garden, and so uh, that's really a book to go to go with. Uh, for I mean, because we don't know if this fella, is he sitting on 500 acres or is he sitting on a tiny urban lot or, or what? You know, we don't, right. we don't know. Right, we and, don't. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I usually tell folk that, you know, if you have less than a few acres, like if you got like three acres or less or something like that, then um, uh, if you, and you're going to buy only one book, then buy Toby Hemingway's book. And now if you've got 10 acres or more, 
you, you need to buy Bill Mollison's designer's manual, you know, because that's going to go into a lot of the, the land shaping stuff. Right. That's, that's really important. Right. But, but I think Toby's book is, is um, you know, the best for smaller scale and for urban stuff. And, and he does talk about guilds in there, and, and he's got massive charts on what plants to plant and like what's your frost zone like and and you know are you raising chickens and so is this any good for having chickens and 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 stuff like that so um i i'd say that's and it, it's such a it's a small book it's an easy read um and and toby has a powerful science background which really shines through well and and another resource would be taking a permaculture design course True, absolutely. Um, uh, in the Seattle area, there's been more and more introductory weekends or uh, just small component-style weekends that, that are a little easier to do than the full two-week design course or or the, the one-week-in-a-month design courses. So, you know, which can give, give you a little bit more exposure. Um, you can meet other people in your area that are wanting to learn more about this. You know, there's a lot of really great groups. People get together, potluck, or discuss permaculture stuff, too. I think our second podcast ever went into permaculture design courses and that yes. kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I so, think so. Um, uh, I, yeah, there's going to be a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of that kind of thing, yeah. Um, and I think that somebody's got a, a PDC that's like a, a full PDC that's, I don't know, a bunch of videos or something. I'm not sure. Oh, right. I forget. Uh, they yeah. talk about it on Permies a lot. And I don't think you can do, I don't think you can count it as the official one. And then there's also the DVDs that you can get that are like, uh, I think Jeff Lawton and Bill Mollison doing a PDC. But again, it doesn't count as an official PDC, but it, Probably still conveys most of the information, right? Um, and I, we get a lot of folks coming up on on uh, permies a lot, talking about how you know they want to get all this information, but they don't want to pay for a PDC or pay for a book or something like that. And you know, there's there's gobs of information on the internet that's free. You know, there's all the stuff on permies. There's all my articles, all my podcasts, all my videos. Although those aren't really organized into anything resembling a PDC, but there there is a lot of information available online, and um, and the library has a lot of the books too. You know, I mean, true. you can you can that doesn't cost anything at the library. So he Joe had one other question where he's wondering if he could take the companion planning to the next level, which interests me that he kind of went into a guild description, but then he came back to talking about companion planning to the next level with hugel culture and whether if he did the companion planting on hugel culture and then if he also inoculated his hugel culture bed with fungi, would that be taking it all to the next level? Next level of companion planning? That's the word to use. Well, okay, so hooliculture is a different thing than companion planting. And um, and then inoculating the soil with fungus, that's, that's a different thing, too. I think he's just and wondering if you combined all three. Would so that make it even better? If, if, the wood, if the wood inside your hooliculture bed is green, like 
you you cut it down two hours ago. Yes, you can inoculate that with interesting fungus. Yes, and then you know bear, do the hugaculture thing. Um, uh, that would be that would be really awesome. If the wood's old, um, it's not. I mean, you could inoculate the soil with certain kinds of funguses, but it's like not like you're going to grow certain edible mushrooms or anything like that. Um, right, because the older wood is probably already inoculated, and that's not going to allow you to add in other fungus. Right, it's to like it. some other fungus has already moved in and right, done its right, thing right. there. Right. So there's no parking spaces for your new fungus to go in there. Right. But on the other hand, there's I mean, there's stuff that you can get that you can put into the soil that um, uh, will help your soil be awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, and and especially in the hugaculture bed. Um, but you know, companion planting is a different beast. Right. And and I think if you think of it as a guild and hugaculture and fungi, you know, are you optimizing all your systems? Right. I'm oh, reading yeah. between the lines here. And the the fungi is going to show up. I mean, when you start making a good soil, the fungi is, I mean, unless you're like in an area that's somehow really awful, and then maybe you want to inoculate it or something like that, but it'll probably show up on its own, and you don't need to import anything. Um, you know, I probably just wouldn't, I mean, the thing, I mean, there's another thing is, is that when you're sitting around thinking about it and talking about it, and and then you you've been looking at a bunch of catalogs, then you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this, and it's all going to be perfect and flawless and awesome, and it's going to be everything Sepp Holzer would ever do. Um, and then it comes right down to when you're going to actually do it, and it's like, okay, you don't have the green wood, you've got this rotten old something or another from over there, and it's conifer, which is not optimal, but it's like that's what you got, and um, and you really don't have much in the way of soil, so um, especially not to add to it. So you're digging down in order to get soil, and you're kind of like digging out paths next to it to come up with enough soil to throw on top of it also. I mean, you're, you're finding all these ways to kind of cobble things together. I mean, it's one thing to do it from the comfort of your own home using your imagination and having these lovely fantasies. And then it just seems like it's always fucked up. <laughs> you, no one can ever do the fantasy because it's always wonky out there in the wild. Well, and even if you had unlimited time and money and resources at your disposal, it's still... Impractical. Yeah, you know, it still just makes so much more sense from a sustainability point of view and whatever, just to use what you've got there and to be reusing or recycling or repurposing what you've got. You make the best of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one more question. All right, then I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I'm fading. I, yeah. Brian Nichols, and he asked a doozy, where do I start? Well... You know where Alabama is? <laughs> Not there. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Have you ever funny. been to Alabama? I have never been to Alabama. <laughs> I never have either. Sweet home Alabama. Oh, we don't, I don't, I don't want to be singing again. Yeah, yeah. no, no, yeah. don't sing, especially this, you know, when you're all. The one about Grandpa? Yeah, oh, no. We've yeah. Been there, done that. All right, so uh, where where do I start? Well, um, 
You know, when people are just getting started and they've never planted a seed in their life, um, I think, you know what, let's just set the permaculture stuff aside for now, and that'll be your reading material during the summer while your stuff's growing for, the first, for your very first garden. And for your very first garden, I recommend Mel Bartholomew's book, Square Foot Gardening. I don't even know if I own a copy anymore. I, I'm sure I keep giving it away. Wait, nope, there, I see one, Square Foot Gardening. I think I've bought like seven or eight copies in, in my life. But, um, uh, I mean, it's very not permaculture, but the, the, the charts in the book really make it easy to understand so many things about plants. I mean, like, why do you plant your peas at a different time of year than your tomatoes? And, and so it, it really helps you understand that, and that's such an important thing, and and I mean, uh, uh, so much of permaculture stuff is just plain overwhelming, um, you know. And and I do want to I do want to advocate though that if you're going to start, and you're just getting started, um, you know, definitely stick to organic, uh, um, you know. And uh, well, for myself, I don't want to ever even talk about uh, why anymore. I'm I'm just so tired of it. And I think you don't have to. I think most people. I think more and more and more people get that. It's, uh, I think that makes sense to more and more people. Right. So um, uh, the, it's just a wonderful book. It's just so and – and the libraries – I mean, the book's been around so long. Every library is going to have a bunch of copies of it. <clears throat> and, uh, and, of course, you know, it's still for sale. He's probably on to the seventh edition by now or something. I'm, I'm not really sure. But it's a fantastic book and great for beginners. Then, after that, after you've digested that book, then go into Gaia's Garden. Um, and then it's, outside of that, where do you start? It depends. I think you should start with what you like and what you're excited to do. I mean, some people, they may be just thrilled at the idea of having chickens. Other people might be, uh, I don't want to deal with an animal I have to care for. You know, other people, they're so excited to have berries. You know, ooh, i got to have my berry bushes. You know, you just, whatever thrills you. And then right. I, I think the other thing that came from a neighbor of mine years ago was just priceless. Um, my mom, who always had silk or plastic plants in her house because she couldn't grow house plants, it's <laughs> really scary. You know, we had to dust or wash these silk things that we've got. Anyway, um, but the neighbor had these gorgeous house plants, and my mom asked her one day, "How do you do that? How do you grow such gorgeous house plants?" And and she was a sweetheart. She was a second grade teacher, so she was the sweetest lady on the earth. And she would say. Oh, I nurture them, and I water them, and I feed them, and I talk to them. And if they die, I buy a new one. (laughs) 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 There you go. So I I think that's going to happen in in, uh, your experiments, you know, with what you're growing. And even with the best knowledge in the world, you're going to have – Something might wipe it out one year. You might have, you know, something happens. Well, that's true. You that's learn, true. you learn, and you move on. 
the people that, that do awesome, amazing crops or awesome, amazing gardens, awesome, amazing whatever, um, they, they usually have 20% of their stuff does a face plant one year, you know. And so the first garden I ever did, I did not read anything. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just bought the seeds and stuck it into the ground. And um, damn near everything died. I, I had some... I had this big area of potatoes. I think I probably cobbled together a pound and a half of potatoes <laughs> from from this one little field. They were yeah. it was miserable, yeah. um, and uh, and and it was because of this utter and complete failure that I went out. I and 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 one summer I read over a hundred gardening books, and then you know the library is just loaded with a guild of gardening books, and I'm here to tell you. That uh, between these people, between these authors writing these gardening books, a lot of them copied from each other. It's <laughs> like after reading a hundred of them, there was about thirty of them that were all pretty much the same on the inside, with the paragraphs moved around a little bit. Right, right. So, um, uh, you know, so that was that was my big leap forward. But but boy, you know, folks, just you just don't need to do that. And I and I'm wor- I'm a little worried that folks will be intimidated by by you know big old books or whatever. But like the square foot gardening book, the great thing is is Mel Bartholomew started writing the book because he managed a community garden. Hmm. So then there's all these people, hundreds of people coming in to the community garden to grow their little plot, and and um, they all screwed it up pretty much. You know they they would plant seeds and walk away and never even come back to harvest them. They just you know planted the seeds, and that was the last day they were ever there, <laughs> you know. And uh, um, uh, he had all kinds. For some people, just wanted to plant tomatoes and nothing else. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, so, yeah, it, I, I think the best thing to do is you got to put something in the ground. Try it out. See what happens. You know? Yeah. And, and just be kind to yourself that certain things are going to work out, certain things not, and Roll having, with it. Roll with it. Ha- having having everything totally suck is better than doing nothing. You know, if if everything dies, that's better than having done nothing at all. Right. So. Right. Um, and don't and don't bite off more than you can chew. I mean, a lot of these people that are going to be like uh, they they want everything to be perfect the first time. Don't do it. I know every time. Well, you know what? I have had my hand in the soil more recently than uh, 2005, because it was like 2006 and 2007. Then there was that garden that I built in in Seattle. Yeah. And uh, and it was the uh, I don't know the second or third year um, where um, it was you know. Everything was a volunteer. If it wasn't a volunteer, it wasn't in the garden. I didn't plant a seed. Every, it's just whatever popped up out of it. And, uh, and it was hugel culture. It, had, uh, it was not a very big hugel culture, but it had a good um, you know, foot-deep layer of wood to start off with. And, um, and the, 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 the dirt that I used was really dirt, not soil, dirt. <laughs> it was uh, some guy was digging out his basement. He's by hand. He's making himself a basement. So he'd bring me by these five-gallon buckets <laughs> full of the dirt that came from this basement that he's digging out. So, wow. I mean, it smelled like musty basement. Wow. 
Yeah, and but at least you know it doesn't it hasn't been uh, doesn't have any herbicides on it of any kind. Right. And I mixed in uh, a whole bunch of uh, alfalfa pellets and actual bales of alfalfa and and um, you know whatever organic matter I can find from here and there. And then I did inoculate it with some of the the mushroom stuff, the you know um, the mycelium. Um, and then uh, after planting everything, I mulched it heavily with uh, uh, hay or straw, and um, I, I had huge success. Well, I'd like to point out that we're talking about growing food primarily with Brian's question of where do I start, and uh, I would like to just add in that um, I think your experiments with using less heat and other conservation techniques and ideas um, are are also a great place to start just in terms of general homesteading and general uh, frugality and general um, sustainability. You know, even just starting with, you know, making sure, and maybe Brian's already doing some of this, but, you know, hanging your clothes on the line instead of using a dryer, you know. Some of those that aren't necessarily food-related, but they are related to the overall permaculture picture and in trying to um, live a lighter footprint or a more sustainable. Uh, sustainable footprint. Do you think? You're, you've got a lot going on. Maybe, maybe the yeah. thing to do is that what I should do is I should write like eight books. And the first book is to get people from Wheaton Eco Level 0 to Eco Level 1. <laughs> the second one is to get you to Level 2. Right. You know, because it's like when you say, well, you're right, because when they say, where do I start? It's like, well, where the hell are you now? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe he's already got a garden. Right. You know, maybe he's already maybe he's already ditched the fluorescent light bulb. Right. And and so you know, maybe it comes back to it depends. <laughs> we gotta find it. You know, we need people to ask more precise questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and this thread's been a little ignored on Permies, and I'll reply to it tonight and kind of get a little more clarity out there, I think. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That'll help, too. So hopefully we'll watch these two movies. Each one starts Jeff Lawton, stars Jeff Lawton, and then we'll do uh, podcasty reviews of those. And then uh, we'll try and sweet-talk Bryson to, like, cranking podcasts out faster. He's been doing a great job. It's really awesome that he's helped. And you, you've had Kane Jameson ha- helped you get the the, the site set up to right. receive the podcasts and the videos and stuff. And so and and people are helping. They're they're helping spread the word and they're enjoying listening. Burra, Burra has gone out there and uh, uh, taken on the Reddit thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, it's made it. Uh, uh, just a big relief, you know, uh, on, on that front. Uh, it frees up a big gob of my time. So, um, anyway, we're we ready to wrap this thing up. I think so. Okay. Well, if uh, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums where we talk about getting. Come on to the forums at permies.com. See, it is. I'm getting runny. <laughs> it's late. That's yeah. Okay. Come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about getting started, uh, guilds, 
homesteading and permaculture all the time.